All right. Well, uh, we are jumping into a brand new series today called No Thanks. And so um, I, I don't know about you, but I, 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 think, I think in general, we all do strive to be our best, to be above average uh, at, at least a few things. Uh, but there's some things that we don't want to be the best at or above average at. Like, like, have you ever known someone who was an above average complainer. Anybody ever known someone that, like they were a little better at it than other people, like they did it a lot more than other people? I mean, it, it is kind of, you know, ugly and we don't like to admit it, but let's be honest, we all complain, right? Like we all do that. Could we just have kind of a mass confession? We all complain, but, but have you ever known someone who was just really good at it and they, like, they, they, they complained like it was their job? Anybody, anybody known anybody like that? Like they, they could go pro at complaining. They, they could find problems and they, they were, you know, they could find holes in every joyous occasion, in every experience, no matter what, you know, they were the person that was like, yeah, but, you know, it's not that great, whatever, you know. So you guys are amazing. And so I know there's no way that it could ever be anyone here, but, but anybody ever known anybody that, that they just would never stop complaining? Yeah, I think we've all... Yeah, like just just point at them right now. Just so maybe more specifically, have you have you ever met somebody that was like embarrassingly entitled? Somebody whose life was kind of brimming and overflowing with good and with opportunity, and yet they found a way to to complain. They found a way to find the negative. I mean, that that's also known as parenting, right? <laughs> like if you if you have kids, but besides that, like, like where there's a moment of irony of, of someone who's been given so much, but they appreciate so little, and, and it's just, it's too much in that moment, right? Like, like worse yet, have you, ever, have you ever had one of those moments where you, you were that person? So uh, I, I'm not proud of it, but I, I did, uh, I, I did want to like confess this morning. Um, so for the last 19 years, um, my, my family and I, we've had the same Thanksgiving tradition where we would spend Thanksgiving week together and Thanksgiving day together at Disneyland. And, uh, and so that's not happening this year. So there's a, you know, a lot of sadness around our, around our place right now. Uh, but for the last 10 plus years, even though we've been going to Disneyland all that time, for the last 10 plus years, we really had kind of locked in on a specific rhythm, a specific sort of you know, flow of traditions that happened on Thanksgiving Day. And so we'd get up early, we'd go to the park, we'd go to Disneyland Park, and we'd spend you know, a handful of hours there riding rides and having fun. And then we'd leave around lunchtime, and we'd go back to our hotel, and we'd get all cleaned up, and we'd get all dressed up. And, uh, and every year, uh, Disney puts on this big giant thing called the Disney Thanksgiving Feast, and they have it in their grand ballroom at the Disneyland Hotel, and it's a really big to-do, and it's awesome. And so we would go to the Thanksgiving Feast, and then after the feast, we would leave there, and then we'd go find Santa, and we'd take pictures with Santa, and then we'd leave there, and then we'd go see a movie together, and we'd see a movie, and it was awesome. And then when the movie was out, it was dark, and we'd go back to the park, and we'd find a place on Main Street and kind of set up camp, and we'd wait and watch the Christmas fireworks, and then the snow would come, and it was magical. So, but a couple years ago, uh, we, were, we were doing all of that. Everything was going perfectly, and then we got to Main Street, and we we're waiting for the fireworks, and we were waiting for the fireworks, and we were waiting for the fireworks, and finally... The announcer guy comes over the, the system and says, you know, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, 
Disneyland fireworks spectacular will not be seen tonight above the cat. There's too much wind, right? And so we're standing there, and I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm not proud of this, but I started booing <laughs> Disneyland. I was like, boo, boo, boo. Like, come on, you guys are Disneyland. You didn't account for a little bit of a breeze? Let's go. This is my Thanksgiving. Give me my fireworks and snow. And then they were like, okay, but, the, but then it's going to snow. And then I don't know if like they had everything sequenced in a way that once you got out of the sequence, it didn't work right. So everybody's standing around waiting for it to snow. And then it didn't snow. And like one snow machine came on over there, but nowhere else. And then, and then they just turned the lights on like, hey, all right, never mind. We're not doing that. And so I booed again. Boo, boo. Now, when you stop and think about it, when you stop and think about it, uh, one of the ugliest words in the English language is the word ungrateful because none of us want to be that, right? None of us want to be the person that just kind of gets labeled as being ungrateful. And yet, if we're honest, like we see a lot of it everywhere, especially lately, especially in 2020 because, well, it's been a pretty rough year and everybody has their list of gripes. And in fact, you know, it, it seems like we've all sort of collectively agreed like that it's just okay to complain as long as you blame it on 2020, right? Like, uh, thanks, 2020. Like, it's like, dude, that was two years ago. You know, it's like, I, I think there's a statute of limitations. I don't know. Uh, but I, I saw someone a couple of weeks ago post about how they got a flat tire and they were like, thanks, 2020. I'm like, I'm pretty sure, like you realize you could get a flat tire in any year, right? Like that, that has nothing to do with 2020. But more and more, we run into you know, very few people who seem to be truly grateful. Now, there may be a bit of a psychological reason for that, because biologically, like medicine tells us that, that we do tend to focus more on the obstacles and the difficulties of life because they usually demand something from us. They usually demand some sort of action fr from us. We have to actually kind of fight to overcome those obstacles to try to get back to our normal flow of life. So, so they, they, they get a lot of attention from us. And on the flip side, the, the better things in our life kind of often slip by under our radar because, well, because they're already there and we, we don't actually have to do anything to kind of keep those things going. But, but it, still, it still doesn't change it though, right? It, it's still difficult to be around people who gripe and complain all the time. It, it still doesn't make that idea of, of being somebody who's ungrateful any less ugly. That, that's something that's just repulsive and, and we just don't wanna be around those people. We don't wanna be pulled down by those people. Now, the truly difficult part about all of this is if we're honest, like it, it's not just other people, right? Like we're susceptible to it too. Now, maybe you've never stood smack dab in the middle of the happiest place on earth on Thanksgiving day and booed said happy place, but you've probably had moments where your frustrations, your little annoyances, life just kind of got the best of you and you just spent a half a day a couple of days, a couple of weeks, just in a bad space, just sort of complaining where your attitude wasn't the greatest. And so you raised your voice to let someone know just how unhappy you were with what was going on in life. The truth is, it's really easy for us to see ungratefulness around us, but, but it's not always easy for us to see it 
in the mirror, for us to see it in us. In fact, I've been a pastor going on 25 years. I've sat with people in all kinds of settings, talked with them about all kinds of problems they had. I've got, talked with couples about their marriage and the problems they have in their marriage. I've talked with parents and, and, and kids. and all. I've never had a single person go, you know what, I figured out my problem is I'm just stinking ungrateful. No one's ever said that to me. They admit to all kinds of other things, like they've confessed they have an anger problem. They confess that maybe, you know, they say this or they act that way. No one's ever just said, I'm just, I'm just freaking ungrateful. That's my problem. No, no one's ever could. Why? Because it's really difficult for us to see it in ourselves. It's one of those things that's really, really easy for us to spot in someone else, because, but it's really difficult for us to see in the mirror. It, it, it's tricky that way. In fact, if you've ever been accused of being ungrateful or you felt like somebody was, you know, was implying that about you, you immediately, and we all do this, you immediately get defensive, right? Because it, it feels like they're accusing you of not feeling something, which isn't true at all because you have all kinds of thoughts and feelings of gratitude about a whole bunch of things and probably even thoughts and feelings of gratitude about the thing that they were accusing you of being ungrateful for. In fact, if somebody asked you, you could easily crank out a list of people and things that you're grateful for, and that's the rub, right? Is that we judge the gratitude of other people based on their actions, but we judge our gratitude based on our feelings, because we feel it inside. It's like, if you ask us, we'll just tell you. But when there's a gap between our private feelings and our public attitudes, other people, just like you and I do, they go off of what they can see. Now, it may not seem like it, but this has huge implications for our entire life because it's, it's not just a, you know, a nice, quaint little notion that we teach our kids about, about saying thank you and, being, you know, and, and having gratitude. It's not just about manners and etiquette, but it affects our relationships, it affects our faith, and ultimately, I, I believe it affects our entire quality of life, which is why we're actually gonna spend this week and next week, a couple of weeks, talking about this very conversation. So there's this really interesting moment that Jesus has with a group of men. And, and in this story, I, I think it will help kind of bring this conversation about gratitude into focus. So check it out. If you have a Bible, you want to flip to Luke chapter 17. If you're using a Bible app, you can flip there as well. Otherwise, uh, the story, the scriptures will be on the screen for you. You can follow along there. In Luke chapter 17, beginning with verse 11. It says this, now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And it's telling us that, that because Jesus was trying to, he was trying to avoid people and crowds. So he, was, he wasn't traveling through the cities. He was traveling along the border because he just didn't want to get caught up in, in, in the crowds. And verse 12, it says, as he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him and they stood at a distance and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. And when Jesus saw them, he said, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he came back praising God in a loud voice. And he threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all 10 cleansed? Where, where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Now, to really appreciate this story, you kind of have to understand a little bit of the context because leprosy was, was a dreaded disease because they didn't understand it and they had no cure for it. So people were really, really afraid. I mean, just try to imagine a scenario 
Try to imagine the kind of fear and irrational things that people would do when there's a serious, potentially deadly disease that nobody really understands and we don't have a cure for it. Can you guys imagine how crazy that would be and how crazy people would act? But the people in the first century, they thought leprosy was contagious. And so if you had any signs of it, you were immediately cut off from your family, from community, from society, from everything and everyone, because it affected everything. When you got that diagnosis, it affected your whole life. And you had to leave the community and you got stuck outside the village or outside the community, outside the city. And you couldn't go to, the, you couldn't go to church. You couldn't go to the market. Nobody wanted to be near you, much less touch you you were declared as both physically and spiritually unclean. So you had to live outside the city, usually with other people who had been diagnosed or other people who had leprosy. And so they usually grouped together just so they could have some sense of community because all they had was each other. Now, here's the crazy thing about this. None of us have leprosy. At least I don't think we do. We're gonna do some some body checks at the door. But, um, But if you're like me, there's part of you that can kind of relate to that idea of, of being in a scenario where you're, you're sort of pushed to the edges and, and you're just connecting with people who are kind of in the same boat, right? Because we're all drawn to people who've suffered in the same way that we have. And when you find someone who shares that same pain, right, it feels really good to know that you're not the only one, that you're not the only person that's, that's dealt with that specific, that specific pain, Because we all need people to kind of sit in our pain with us. There's no doubt about it. But misery loves company, doesn't it? And if if we're not careful, we actually get kind of stuck in that place, in an endless cycle of being a victim. But the question becomes, what happens when you don't don't just want to feel better, but you want to actually get better? And so these 10 guys, they see Jesus coming and, and, and they do what they're supposed to do, but they want to get better, right? So, but they, they do what's expected of them. They, they, they're social distancing. They can't come near Jesus. And so they cry out, you know, with a loud voice, which is just a nice way of saying they started yelling at Jesus for Jesus to help them. And Luke tells us that when Jesus saw them, that he yelled back to them and he told them to go show themselves to the priest. Because if you were a leper that, and, and somehow you were able, you know, you were healed of your leprosy, you actually had to go to the priest because the priest had to be the one to declare that you were clean. Only the priest could bring you back into resuming a normal life. So, but, but here's the crazy thing. Jesus, Jesus doesn't heal them and then send them. Instead, he just sends them to the priest even though they're all, they're all still sick. And he's like, go see the priest as if you're already been healed, go, just go show yourself to the priest. Now, I, I don't know if you've ever done this, I've done this. Have you ever told God how to do his job? Have you ever been like, hey God, I, I don't know if you're paying attention, I don't know if you're really following, keeping up with current events, like I don't know if you're really paying attention to my life, but it feels like the thing that, that's happening right now is not really how it's supposed to go. Like I, I, I've, I've told God how to do his job a lot in my life, especially this year. Like, hey, God, uh, you know, I don't know if you're paying attention to this whole COVID thing. I'm trying to plan a church. Like, uh, could you maybe, I don't know, just, just put like a bubble of safety around Idaho. Um, I don't know. Could you just you kill it off? What, what, do whatever you got to do. So, but, but these guys, these 10 guys, they, they literally, it would have been reasonable for them to argue with Jesus. No, no, you don't understand how it works. Like, 
you got to heal us first, then we go show ourselves to the priest. But that, that's, not what, that's not what these guys did. They all went even though they were still sick because that's what, that's what faith does. Faith is actually moving in the direction that God tells you to move before you see any evidence that it's actually working. Before you see any proof that, that the thing that you want to happen is actually happening, the thing that God said would happen. See, we tend to do the opposite, right? If I see it, if I feel it, then I'll be all about what God is saying, right? But they acted and began to feel differently because of their faith. See, faith lives by God's promises, not by what we see and feel. And then Luke tells us that as they went, while they were on their way, then they were healed, which is just absolutely incredible. So, and, and then Luke gets to the part of the story that really kind of speaks in or sort of laser focuses on the conversation that we're having today. He says this in verse 15. We read it a second ago, but I would just want to draw your attention to it again. He says, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he circled back. He came back to Jesus, praising God in a loud voice. And he threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus asked, were not all 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? They all had the same experience, but they all didn't respond in the same way. 10 were healed but only one came back. We're not told why only one came back, but I don't honestly think it was because the other nine were ungrateful. I really don't. Like, I, it's purely speculation here, but, but I bet if you could have caught up with the other nine guys and asked them about it, I think they would have just been gushing about how overwhelmed they were with what God had done for them. I'm sure they would have gone on at length about just how grateful they were that they were healed and that they get to see their kids and their wife and their family again, that they, they get to be a part of, uh, of community again. They get to go to church and worship God again. But, but here's the problem. That unexpressed gratitude actually feels like ingratitude to the ones for whom or to whom that you're grateful. Like when we don't actually express it, when it's unexpressed, it feels like ingratitude to those people. Because in, in ingratitude, being ungrateful, it actually shuts down relationships. And, and how do we know that? Because Jesus is over here going, weren't all 10 cleansed? What happened to the, what happened to the other guys? Why didn't? Why didn't they come back? Now, knowing what they had all gone through, I'm certain they were all grateful to Jesus, but unexpressed gratitude feels like ingratitude to the one to whom you're grateful. They're all on their way to see the priest, and they're going, we dance in your freedom, awake and alive. Oh, God, you have done great. Hit it. You know, and they're doing the little... I'm sure they were grateful. But Jesus is like, nobody returned to give praise to God except the guy who's not even a Jew? One of my favorite authors, her name is Brene Brown, and if you haven't read any of her books, you should read her books. She's a fantastic author. She did a bunch of research on gratitude for her, one of her books called The Gifts of Imperfection. And she said the thing that jumped out at her through the entire process of her research was this idea of the word practice, the significance of practicing gratitude. See, because she said feeling grateful is not the same as practicing gratitude. They're very different, in fact. And here's what's interesting. 
She talked about how for a long time, like many of us, and we've probably, you, you've probably used this language, that she believed in the notion of having an attitude of gratitude. But the problem is, is that an attitude is just an orientation or a way of thinking, and having an attitude doesn't always translate to actual behavior. Like, for instance, I, I mean, it's, it's really hard to tell right now, um, but for a while, I was a runner. Um, I... <laughs> That wasn't, that's not a joke. Like, that's a true story, all right? Uh, uh, like 10Ks, half marathons. We ran the, the LA Marathon in 2014. Uh, and, <clears throat> and, and even though it's been a while since I was a runner, I feel like I still kind of have a runner attitude. Like, I, I believe in it. I actually think about it a lot. I know a lot about it. I know a lot about training. I know a lot about nutrition. I, I know a lot about the right kinds of shoes and how to care for your body, about how your feet strike the ground and what kind of shoes you need to have based on the way that your feet strike the ground. I know how to deal with sore knees and things like hydration and recovery, etc. But I can tell you that my awesome runner attitude and my running shoes don't mean jack if you were to tell me to go out tomorrow and run a 5K. They just, they just don't matter. Outside of a few attempts here and there, it's been a little over five years since I ran really at all. It's safe to say that my attitude hasn't really led to any action, which is embarrassing and ridiculous. But here's the point. That's how we all are. We have attitudes about things. We feel things about things but it never actually translates into something that we practice or do. We feel something, we believe something, but it never really works its way out in what we do. See, the question isn't, do you have a grateful heart? The question is, do you have grateful habits? And what, what do grateful habits look like? So, well, for starters, I'm just going to give you a couple of things. There's a whole bunch of things we could, we could say, some really practical things. And, and, and honestly, if you were to go back and kind of read a little bit of Brene's, Brene Brown's book, like one of the things she talks about, and if you just do a little bit of research on this, like everybody says the same annoying thing, which is just write stuff down. Keep a journal. Like, I don't want to write stuff down. I just want to feel it, Right? But, but so I, I just want to give you a couple of things of what, what grateful habit might look like. Number one, work at being a noticer. In, in other words, cultivate, a, cultivate noticing the good. This actually takes effort on our parts, especially if you're a certain kind of personality or wired a certain way. Some of us kind of come by it a little bit more naturally than others, uh, but, but you, you do have to work at it no matter what, right? Cultivate noticing the good. See, the one who returned to Jesus, he did so after he saw that he was healed, after he noticed like, oh my gosh, I was walking along and now I'm healed. Now that may seem obvious to us, but that's kind of the point, is that there's so many things in our lives that are just a part of our life, just a part of our experience that we just sort of ignore or push to the side that it actually takes a little bit of effort and a little bit of intention for us to notice it. There are things about our lives and our stories that seems so obvious to other people, but they're easy for us to miss or to just kind of brush by. But noticers see things that most people miss or that most people take for granted in their own life. 
It doesn't have to be profound or earth shattering. Like I have a lot of bad habits, but drinking coffee isn't one of them. I do love the smell of coffee. I enjoy everything about coffee except the taste. And so I would gladly hang out in a coffee shop because I love the sounds and the smells and the people are just so happy, especially after they get their coffee. Um, but, and I know, you know, it says somewhere in the qualifications for pastors that you have to kind of be a connoisseur of coffee and you must love to play golf. And I don't do either of those things, uh, but I don't, so I don't know how I got in, but I have a lot of friends who have a love affair with coffee. I mean, they don't, they don't just drink it. They talk about it. They post about it. They can't start their day without it. Anybody know someone like that? Like anybody, anybody is someone like that? Okay. Coffee in the morning, wine at night, right? Like, wow, that was, nobody's amening or excited about the Jesus stuff, but you talk about coffee and wine, it's like, woo, yeah. Okay, uh, that's a different sermon altogether, the whole like, you start with chemicals to begin and end your day, okay. Um, But if you love coffee, it's one thing for you to be grateful for just having the extra caffeine, you know, the extra caffeine in your you know, venti, quad, 10 pump, extra hot, no whip, mocha, right? Because you're low maintenance. (laughs) But as you cradle that little cup of morning salvation in your hands, like think about everything it took to get it to you. The farmers on the other side of the planet who worked the soil, planted the seeds, grew the plants, harvested the beans, Everyone involved from the moment those beans were harvested until they were ground and shipped to that store and prepared just for you. And that doesn't even account for three pints of milk you put in it, all the chemicals and the syrups that make it taste, that fool your mind into you know, a certain kind of taste, the whipped cream, the expertise of the barista, the machine that they use to, to froth it up and make it super hot. The guy who invented the little sleeve that goes on the outside so you get the joy of the warmth of the cup without it burning your hands. So much in that moment, here's the point. There's so much in that moment, that little moment to be thankful for. And and honestly, God have mercy on their soul if if they get your order wrong, right? Like, we know they're gonna spell your name wrong, but at least they can get the order right. But here's the point. Life is a gift, And if you look, if you try, you will see the beauty and the wonder in every single moment. But here's the deal. You gotta practice. Talking about practice, man. The other habit that I just wanna encourage you to exercise is that when you see it, don't just feel it. Say it and share it. Part of the reason why we don't do this is because if when you got your cup of coffee, you processed everything I just said, and you felt overwhelmed by the gratitude of holding that, if you express that in that moment, part of the reason why we don't do it is because it makes us feel like that's what a child would do, right? A child would be so giddy and so happy to be getting their drink in the morning. And it's, it's just our pride that gets in the way. But if you feel it, when you've, you've gone through the habit You've practiced to see it, the gift that whatever it is that has come into your life, don't just feel it, don't just believe it, say it and share it. Because remember, 
unexpressed gratitude is like ingratitude to the people around you. I know this is so basic. I feel stupid even saying it. But the truth is, most of the time, we just don't do it. We don't say it out loud. Remember, feeling grateful is not the same as practicing gratitude. Gratitude, this was the other um, uh, kind of really powerful truth that came out of Brene's research. Gratitude is tangible and it's observable. You can see when somebody's being grateful. It's tangible. There's words coming out of their mouth. There's things that they're doing. They're giving a card. They're saying something. They're giving a hug. They're giving a high. Like it's observable. You can actually see it. Write it down. Express it to God. Thank the other person. Be appreciative out loud. Like the one leper, often the best, the best way for us to move forward is to actually go back and express how grateful we are to that person, it for that moment, to God for that experience. You know what we say though, right? They, they know my heart. God knows my heart. My family knows my heart. No, they don't. You know what they know? They know what you do. That's what they know. <laughs> Even Jesus, who actually did know their hearts. Even he was like, man, if what you felt wasn't strong enough for you actually to, you know, to, get, to actually get you to do something, it's empty. Weren't there 10 of you? Where's the other nine? I mean, I know their hearts, but that don't count. It's not real if it's just locked away on the inside of your heart. L let me tell you something you already know. People whose lives are full, they're not the ones who have the best of everything. They're the people who make the most of everything they have. And the way that we know they're making the most of everything they have is by how they live and the things that they say. You know this because you've met people with less than you that seem to have more joy than you, more purpose than you. You know it because of how they behaved and how they talked, not because somehow you knew they felt it on the inside. The truth is, unexpressed gratitude, it shuts down our relationships, it shrinks our lives. See, because what you and I need isn't, isn't greater accomplishment or more accumulation. What we need is a deeper sense of appreciation for what we've already been given. You gotta say it. You gotta share it. You gotta write it down. Can't just feel it and believe it. Can't just be an attitude. So there's one last part to the story of Jesus and this leper that I, I think is kind of the most important part that I just wanna point out real quick. After the leper, the 10 lepers are healed. The one circles back and comes to Jesus. He thanks, worships God, throws himself at Jesus' feet. Jesus says, where are the other 10? How come, where are the other nine? How come they didn't come back? Finally, he says, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. See, when this is missing, God is limited in what he wants to do in our lives. And, and here's what I mean by that. A few, minute, a few minutes ago, I talked about how I had I've spent time in my life trying to tell God how to do his job. And there was a period of time earlier this year where there was a lot of those conversations. This is the third church that my wife and I, that we've started. And, um, and, and 
it's been a different experience with each one. But in the last, I don't know, the last four years, um, it's really felt like a pretty kind of bumpy ride for us and our family. And so relocating here and moving here to start this church, in my mind and my heart, it it felt like a a, a new chapter, a new beginning, a, a new opportunity that everything, for some reason in my head, that meant it was gonna be easier than the last four years. And then COVID hit, and I was, I was mad. Like, God, don't you know we're trying to start a church? Like, what's going on? And so from about April to June, I spent about two and a half months, months just sort of sulking, just upset at life. I was upset at God. I was upset at life. I was upset that we had to fight for toilet paper. I was upset about all kinds of stuff going on in life. And honestly, it didn't just impact me, it was impacting my family. It was impacting um, the, the small group of people that were already here to kind of, that had come together to help us, you know, begin to, the process of launching this church. And in June, um, I don't often feel like, you know, like I have these moments where I feel like God says specific things to me, but I, I was having this moment where I was just, you know, it was just another day of, you know, the, the pity party that I'd been in for about 60 days. And I just had this moment where it just kind of hit me. And, and I decided, okay, God, fine. I'm just gonna begin to thank you for the things that I'm, I'm super grateful for. And I spent a couple of days just practicing gratitude. And I have to tell you, it, it changed everything. Nothing changed, but it changed everything. And, and, and the, the place that I noticed it most, I noticed it most in the way that I was leading people spiritually. I noticed it most in the group that we were working together. I, I noticed it most in the fact that like if you went back and sort of traced how hard we were working and things that were happening and stuff, like it felt like we were working and working and nothing was happening and inviting and nothing was happening. And then all of a sudden there was this moment where it felt like it just got traction and started moving forward. And, and people can have whatever, they can believe whatever they want. But when I look at my timeline, my timeline, the moment that it started to get traction and move forward was the moment that my heart changed. And I realized that there were things that God was wanting to do all along in me and through me that he couldn't do because I was sitting over in the corner pouting. See, 10 were cleansed, but only one was made well. It's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. What a a horrible thing for these guys to dream their whole life about being healed, which is what these guys would have been doing, only to be healed and to still not be whole. See, gratitude is the substance, it's the texture that the incredible things that God wants to do in you and through you actually begins to stick to the surface of your life so that it can begin to take shape in your heart and your soul. Gratitude is what enables us to absorb all the good that's happening around us already. Because without it, it just sort of comes in and goes out. It just sort of leaks out, right? Which is the reason why we or people we know can stand in the middle of an incredible moment and still find something to complain about, still find something, why? 
because there's no gratitude present. So the, the goodness and the beauty and the exceptional like, pieces of that moment and what God is doing in his love, they're not sticking. It's just sort of hitting them and bouncing off. Why? Because there's nothing for it to stick to. There's nothing for it to grab onto. See, that's the reason why God can pour blessing and beauty out on our lives, but with no substance, no texture for it to stick to. It just sort of hits us and leaks out, and we just sort of miss what he's wanting to do for us. See, this is one of the reasons why we actually gather on Sunday mornings. It's to do what the leper did. It's to build in a regular time. Like, I want to do it all throughout the week, but, but you can be sure that every single week when we gather that I'm going to come. It's not to check a religious box. It's to recognize that everything we have is a gift. It's to remember that Jesus went to the cross for me, and he gave his life for me, and he died for me, and he rose again. That like that leper on Sunday morning, we run to God and fall at his feet and praise him in a loud voice just saying, thank you, God. That's why we worship. That's why we have music and we sing songs so that it, it, it shifts our heart and our attitudes where we actually begin to see all that God has said to us and done for us. Giving thanks to God through worship isn't about me or meeting my needs, but it frees me from myself to focus on Jesus. And when we do, just like the leper, we come to know God in a way that we never would have known him otherwise. So here's my challenge to you this week. Three little things. Number one, take time every day to thank God. Just take time every day. God, thank you for my life, for beauty, for this little cup of coffee, for the ability that you've given me to earn a living, for the capacity I have for good in my life, for my kid, whatever, begin to just take a moment. And our family, this last, my wife is amazing at this. So uh, the whole month of October, um, we have this giant pumpkin that sat on our table on a little spinny tape. What are those things called? I don't know, little t- Lazy Susan, that's right. I don't know why Susan's lazy, but she is. And, and so, uh, it's, and, and we had a little Sharpie and every single day, my kids wrote something on that pumpkin and they filled up about a, a huge pump, filled up from the top about almost halfway down of just everything that they were thankful of, thankful for. Take time every day to thank God. Second thing is just ask yourself in every little moment, because like this is the noticer part, who deserves thanks for this? Who, who, who can I thank? Who, who can I show appreciation to? Who, who can I demonstrate tangibly, observably gratitude for? Number three, when you feel it, when you feel it on the inside, make it obvious on the outside. Turn that heart of gratefulness into a habit of gratitude. That's that's what I want to challenge you to do this week. Let's pray together.